Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. Our team worked hard to put this sermon together with you in mind, and we hope it helps you take your next step with Jesus. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? So nice to see you all. Uh, my name is Billy, as Christian said, and uh, today we begin a brand new four-week kind of series within a series all about the Holy Spirit. So I'm super excited to talk about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit makes this whole thing called church happen, right? He takes all of our preaching, our teaching, all the ministries that that are happening in our church, right? And he translates that, he transforms that into a relationship with Jesus. So here's the thing, just for a minute, a thought experiment. Uh, pretend for a moment that you can take away the Holy Spirit when something like Bible study happens. You know what you get? You just get an academic exercise. Or if you take away the Holy Spirit, you remove the Holy Spirit when we gather together, you know what we get? After, if that were to be the case, we just get just a social meeting, that's it. Or when we serve, we use our gifts in the doing of ministry. If you were to somehow extract the spirit from that, there would be no eternal impact felt whatsoever. Or one of my favorites, if you were to do theology. Oh, theology. Who loves theology? Oh, I sure do. But if you remove the Holy Spirit, then all you get is just a bunch of interesting ideas about Christianity. One pastor that I really love to listen to, here's what he said. He said, the Holy Spirit is the reason we have a relationship with Jesus and not just a religion about Jesus. And so he then is the difference maker in this entire exercise. With the Spirit, we get an actual experience that we can enter into with the Lord. And without him, all we get is just a bunch of religious exercises that wear us all out. Can I get an amen, somebody? He's so important. Here's the thing with the Spirit, right? He kind of freaks people out, especially in American Christianity. The Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood, most neglected, and most ignored person of the Trinity. You see, we, uh, we're really comfortable with Jesus. We're comfortable with God the Son, aren't we? Because, yeah, I mean, we got Christmas, we celebrate his birth, we have Easter, his death, his resurrection, he's our risen redeemer. We, we love Jesus, we're comfortable with Jesus. And it's very similar with God the Father. God the Father is our sovereign protector. He's our, he guides us. I mean, his sovereign will is shaping the course of events of human history. Even Jesus, when he taught us how to pray, how did his prayer start? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we're comfortable with the Father, aren't we? But when it comes to the Spirit, well, okay, I mean, just the Spirit, right? A Spirit seems less tangible than a Father and a Son does. And so I think we tend to become just automatically more uncomfortable with the Spirit. And so we're leaning into our comfort zone, the Father and the Son. And that's kind of the dynamic that happens in the church. But let me just show you something that illustrates this. Uh, actually, very interesting. I'm going to take you all the way back in time to one of Christianity's oldest creeds. 
It's the Nicene Creed from circa 325 AD, so about 1,700 years. And what, what happened then was uh, pastors and leaders got together and they met in Nicaea and they decided like, hey, we're gonna hammer out what Christians believe. We're gonna make a statement of faith. And I'll show it to you. This is what all Christians believe. First of all, we believe in one God, the Father, Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible. So we have the Father here. And then the next section of the creed says, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father, only begotten, that is, from the essence of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. This is all about Jesus, right? In one essence with the Father, through whom all things came into being, things in heaven and things on earth, who because of us men and because of our salvation came down, again, about Jesus, right? He became incarnate, becoming man, suffered and rose again on the third day, ascended to the heavens and will come again to judge the living and the dead. All about Jesus. And we believe in the Holy Spirit. That's all we get. Look at this. Just one little line. That's it. And I just think that's kind of, it really does illustrate the point that the early Christian leaders, now they weren't purposely trying to ignore the Spirit. They were actually trying to focus on Jesus. Okay, who is Jesus? Um, what did he accomplish? How do we organize this thing called the Trinity, right? And so the Holy Spirit just wasn't talked about all that much. Now, granted, the Nicene Creed had like a couple of versions. So about 60 years later, they inserted a lot more material on him. But together as a church, it took us a long time to kind of organize our minds and really grasp the totality of who the Spirit really is. So the tendency back then was to focus in on the Father and the Son. Now, let's bring it to today because I think we have some pendulum swings happening in the church now, in some churches, maybe you've been in a charismatic church or a Pentecostal church, it seems like it's only the spirit all the time. The emphasis then in these church families becomes on the spirit's power. And so there's a lot of um, focus on healings and tongues and prophecies and miracles and power encounters with evil spirits and so forth. It's the ecstatic side of our faith. And it seems like it's, uh, maybe very emotionally driven. There's a lot less structure to uh, church services like this where it's just all the spirit all the time. And so if you're not used to that expression of Christianity and you walk into these meetings, it can, it can be a little strange. And so the, the response can be for some people like, yeah, yeah, well, if that's the spirit, like I, I really don't, that's kind of weirding me out. And so you just kind of get away from that, right? And then you go to the other side of the pendulum where some churches and denominations, they never mention the Holy Spirit. And the reason they don't do that is because they don't want to be like these other weirdos over here. And so everything becomes more intellectual and sterile and, in my opinion, boring. I mean, super boring. And... I mean, and the reality is, is that for those of us who really want the Spirit, we need the, we need the power of the Spirit, and we need the intellectual guidance of the Spirit to infuse everything we do. And so, I've observed that many of us believers, we intuitively know that the Spirit is very important, so critical. And we want more of him. And there's this tremendous hunger for the Holy Spirit, for the presence of God to tangibly with us, be with us. And here's why that hunger exists. 
We are wired, guys, to need all of God, not just two-thirds of him. See, we're, we're, we learned last week, didn't we, that the, that the Lord is a trinity and that God is three in one, the Godhead. He's not two in one. And so the human heart then is coded, it's hardwired to need every single part of who God is. And that, of course, includes the spirit. So what we're gonna do is, here's the plan. We're gonna dig into our Bibles over the next four weeks and we're gonna take a really good look at who the Spirit is. We're gonna stare deeply into the Holy Spirit and we're gonna understand why he's just as much God as the Father and the Son. And we're gonna look at all the roles that he plays in this thing called life. And the goal here at the end of this whole process is to get a lot more comfortable with who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, because here's what we want. We want a spirit-filled life, a spirit-led life, a spirit-empowered life that reflects the fullness of everything who God is. I don't want to leave anything on the field. If God has something for us and he's offering himself fully to us, then I say, hey, why not take the whole thing that we can get and open up our arms, our, our minds, our hearts to all of who the Lord is. So that's where we're headed. Does that sound like a good plan? Oh, I don't know if I like that response. We, I think, yes, okay, now we're getting there. Well, we'll warm up throughout the rest of this message. How about this? How about we warm up by uh, opening up our Bibles and we're gonna get started in our study. Please then turn to John chapter three, the gospel of John, the fourth book in the New Testament. And we're gonna look at a very interesting conversation, give you some context while you're getting there. Jesus is talking with a guy named Nicodemus who's approached Christ basically in the middle of the night because he doesn't want to be seen publicly asking Jesus questions. And he's asking the Lord about, okay, how can we experience the fullness of God's kingdom? What is this whole thing about the kingdom? How can we have it in full measure? And so Christ answers him by talking to him about the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse five together and read. Jesus answered Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, Nicodemus, that you must be born again. Verse eight, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell from where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So this is, um, this is a pretty interesting passage. It's kind of a famous section in Scripture. Jesus talks about you know, being born again and what that means, and he's giving some imagery and some teaching here on it. And what Christ is saying is that a person can only enter into God's kingdom in answer to Nicodemus's question. You can only have that happen by the Holy Spirit, via the Holy Spirit. So when you enter the kingdom, Jesus says, it's through new birth. New birth only happens because of the Holy Spirit's activity and work in the human heart. That's the teaching. That's the teaching of Jesus. And so the Spirit is carrying us into the kingdom, into relationship with God. Spirit makes that happen. So the Lord's really giving this, the Holy Spirit like a critical place in our relationship with God. He's not just a side thing, right? The Holy Spirit's not just somebody that you bump into, you know, on level two or level three Christianity. No, he's who you interface with right at the very beginning of this thing. And so he's primary. Jesus is like, here's the spirit and here's what he does. He brings you straight away, right away into the kingdom. 
Interesting, isn't it? And so if we neglect the Spirit, we're almost like, oh, we have to get back to how the Lord's teaching us the role of the Spirit. So the Lord, also, he just goes on on this and he expands further. And he makes a comparison, doesn't he, in this passage? Who does he compare the Spirit to? He compares the Spirit, or what does he compare the Spirit to? He compares it to the wind, doesn't he? The Holy Spirit is like what? It's like the wind. Well, how, what, what are you talking about? How is that, how is the Holy Spirit like the wind? Well, the Lord's, he, he builds this out. For one thing, can a human being control the wind patterns that happen in the weather? Not really, no. Um, we can, what, we can harness maybe little bits of the wind here and there, but we cannot control uh, on a large scale where the wind blows. Now, we study the wind, don't we? We've got windmills between here and Brentwood. There is all these beautiful, huge windmills. I mean, they came from Europe and they're massive. And that's because we studied the wind patterns also on the way to Tracy or Stockton. Don't, don't really go there, Stockton. I mean, just drive right by it, right? Who's with me? Amen. But when you go there, it's beautiful, right? You have all these on the, the past there. And, and so what we've done is we've stu- used science and we look at where the wind is blowing, but the wind itself has a mind of its own, a will of its own, its, its own set of conditions that govern where it goes and where it doesn't go. And none of those conditions involve human beings being able to direct those conditions. And so the same is true with the Holy Spirit. You, can, can, you can't control where the Spirit moves and how the Spirit works, but you can observe the Holy Spirit's moving and you can see the results of the Spirit's activity, but you can't control the Spirit. So ultimately, the Holy Spirit can be pretty threatening to people who have control issues. People who love power structures and people who love sort of to organize this thing called religion, hierarchies, right? The the Spirit can be very threatening. People who like to dictate all the details of things, like who gets in and who doesn't get in and governing things and you know, just down to like every single aspect. They get frustrated, people like this. They get frustrated with God's spirit. The book of Proverbs, I think, mentions this in uh, the Old Testament, Proverbs 19. It says it this way, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So what's the prevailing force here? Is it human planning or is it the Lord's will? So we plan, but for those of us who are learning this thing called Christianity, we, we learn to hold our plans loosely because we recognize that the Holy Spirit may actually have some adjustments to make. He may have something else in mind. Now, here's my struggle with all of this. I am straight up a planner, all right? I just am. That's my personality sweet spot. Billy loves himself a good plan. And my planning is, I get detailed, right? I like subsets and points, and then I have like, like gates and timelines, and then I have contingency plans. So if this thread doesn't happen, hey, let's build a plan for what would happen if this doesn't take place, and then we're gonna have a plan, and then that has contingency plans, and then there's just things that I need to know the specific steps in place. Um, anybody else like this? Here's, okay, maybe not. All right, it's just me. Here's my thing. Yes, somebody, okay, good. You're like this. Uh, Maybe there's one others. Here's my life kind of get organized, get strategical, get logical. 
So that's my nerd side coming out again. Big, big surprise, right? If you've heard my preaching, this is the nerd talk, right? This is the consistency across the board. So, so yes, it's just shining forth again. This is who I am. This is what you get with me. Uh, Christy, my wife, boy, she, she's just a trooper. Uh, I'll give you an example of how this plays out in our marriage. Last year, we went to uh, London for a vacation. We've been saving for a long time. And I love the Queen of England. She's just so awesome. And I didn't get to meet her. They wouldn't let me do that. But I mean, we just, we just had this wonderful time. But prior to vacation, I spent literally months planning out every single detail. And of course, I made an Excel spreadsheet itinerary. And let me show it to you. Here it is. Because nothing says let's have fun on vacation like a really well put together Excel spreadsheet, right? I mean, in my defense, you can see maybe on certain days, there's some flexibility. There's flex, right? We have options, maybe. You can go to Harrods. You can go to Selfridges. Which one would you like? But this is the allotted time to go shopping, right? And I think maybe she, I handed this to her and she's like, oh honey, this is great. She plays along. But in her heart, I felt like this kind of vibe, like Billy, you are a murderer of fun. I mean, (laughs) another example on Thanksgiving holidays, right? We would host Thanksgiving. And so what I used to do was create Gantt charts for our double ovens to time out when the dishes should go in and out for maximum efficiency because nothing says Thanksgiving, right? Like turkey and some well put together Gantt charts. Can I get any amens? And some of you are like, I don't even know what a Gantt chart is. You are a weird guy. Now, listen, my family did ask me to stop doing this, which I did, but I have to admit, I am dying inside every (laughs) November. I'm that guy. When I Google map something, I'm going to follow exactly what it says, no matter where it takes me. Because why? Because that's what it says to do. I'm going to follow the plan. So if you find me in a field in Stockton, right, on accident, I'm sitting there in my truck because this is where Google said the best buy was, despite the fact that I'm in a cow field. I like to plan. I like to follow a plan. And this is why the Holy Spirit is so good in my life, because he lovingly reminds me all the time He's in control. His mind is so much higher than mine. He's orchestrating things, not me. And so I live and I breathe at his prerogative. The spirit's in charge. I wonder if some of us need to hear this today because maybe you're like me. Maybe your default personality is to be a planner is to never leave any room for the Holy Spirit to work in the situations of your life because everything is so tightly controlled. (laughs) Whoa, did you see that blue light? (laughs) Maybe that's the Holy Ghost, I don't know. (laughs) Everything's so controlled and produced, right? In life, and maybe you're like me, you need to hear this message of the Holy Spirit because You've taken up too much. It's like like we have to learn to let things go and let him work in our life. Or maybe, maybe you're the opposite personality. Maybe you're like the free spirit, right? 
and you just wake up and you're just like, hey, whatever, bro. I'm just gonna do whatever and I'm just gonna go through life. And you know, when you go to London, you just wake up and you walk out of the hotel and you just go wherever the, the day takes you and that is a personal hell. I think you're wasting your time and money. <laughs> but that's, that's me, whatever works for you. <laughs> however you're wired, however you're wired in your personality, we all need to stop and pause when decisions are made and we need to ask the Holy Spirit what he wants. What's your plan? Am I not thinking of something? Lord, direct me via your power and your will. Not my will, but yours be done, Holy Spirit. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so good for us, all of us, no matter how we're wired up personality-wise. The Holy Spirit's motions are like air currents. And he's gonna move in ways that we cannot possibly direct and predict. There's a lot of ways that that plays out. One of the ways I love about him is that he becomes a great equalizer in the body of Christ. What do I mean? It means this, that the spirit will move without prejudice among people in the church, regardless of age and stage in life and how much education you have or your race or your nationality or your background or where you were born or how much money you have, right? Regardless of all those things, the spirit, if he wants to move in your life and through your life, all you have to do is just be willing. Anybody in the body of Christ can see amazing things happen through your life. All it takes is this posture. Lord, I just wanna be used by you. And the Holy Spirit can then do something great in and through you. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament actually prophesied that the Holy Spirit, this is how the Holy Spirit moves. Look at this passage in Joel 2, 28 through 29. Now the the prophet Joel is speaking on behalf of the Lord. So this is the Lord now speaking. I, the Lord says, will pour out my spirit on who? On what does it say? What, what was it? All people. Everybody, and then he, he, he gives us examples of what that includes. Your sons and your daughters, men and women, will do what? Will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Old men typically don't dream dreams, right? Old men usually pay, play pinochle, right? But when you're dreaming a dream when you're 80 years old, that means that the Lord can do something through your life that nobody would have thought of at your age and stage. And so your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, even on my servants, on the lower class, if you will, of people, both men and women. I the Lord says, will pour out my spirit in those days. And guys, we are living in those days. They are now. And so the spirit works in and through anybody at any time. And all we have to do is be a willing vessel. What a truth. What an incredible, incredible truth. I, I, I just... I'm so infatuated and just so enamored by the Spirit's work and about this phenomenon, about him moving in somebody's life. I want you to think about, as an example, let's do another thought experiment. Think about somebody in your life, maybe a friend or a family member, who in your mind is really far from the Lord. Maybe they never come to church, maybe, there's, maybe they're antithetical to, to, to Christianity at this point, but think of somebody like that. And you're maybe wondering if, if that person could ever come to church. And then what happens sometimes is that person then shows up to church. And you're just like, what? 
You know, maybe you don't say that in your face. I do. I'm like, what? What are you doing here? I would have never thought that you would show up. I mean, what happened in your life that God's bringing you here? And people are like, man, will you just stop asking me questions and just leave me alone? Right, that's just me, right? That's not how you are gonna be. But then that person you would think never comes to church actually then takes the next step and becomes a follower of Christ. Has this ever happened to you? Have you seen someone very unlikely in your mind? And that, and that is proof that the spirit is working in ways that maybe you or me, none of us could possibly see coming. And I love that because he's secretly drawing people and working in people's lives. I experienced this in my family recently. A couple of weeks ago, literally I think two or three weeks, weeks ago, I got a phone call that my Swiss dairyman uncle had fell gravely ill just very suddenly. And so Christy and I, we jumped in the truck and we just drove to Oregon right away. We had to see him, my Uncle Robert. And it turns out Uncle Bob was diagnosed with advanced stage four cancer. And it had spread everywhere in his body. And because he was a reader and he was stubborn, he never went to the doctor. And so he he went undiagnosed, we think, for a long time. But by the time he went, the docs were like, listen, this, is, this isn't good. And so he didn't have long to live, like weeks. And this just happened so fast, so we had to go see him right away. We get to the hospital, and he's there, and he's lucid, and I was talking with him, and I found out two months ago, he accepted Christ. His wife led him to the Lord. I know, awesome, right? So cool. I was like, What? What, you became a Christian, Uncle Bob? And he legit prayed. I mean, it was legit, guys. He prayed to receive Jesus, and it's incredible. So for over 75 years, my uncle did not know the Lord, but now, now this absolutely changes everything because the Spirit is, had worked in his life. And it was really hard. It was so hard to see him in such pain because this cancer, this cancer was just really aggressive. And so he was on some meds, some pain meds, and it was very difficult. But as I'm watching him, great comfort came into my heart knowing that he knew Jesus. And so for the very first time in my life, we had a conversation about the Lord. And it was the most beautiful thing. And we had, a, I, mean, I mean, you know me. I mean, I'm just like, oh my goodness. So, okay, so I have a lot to tell you about. We've got a lot of, we've got a lot of time to make up here. And he, you know, he can't go anywhere, so he's like... And so we talked about like meeting Jesus face to face. Don't be scared. Are you scared to meet the Lord? Because you're going to see him very soon. No, Billy, I'm not scared. I'm at peace with God. Oh, this is so great. So when you see him, I mean, it's going to be amazing because it's got like, there's no like barriers and you're going to see him unfettered and it's just going to be heaven, Jesus, like unfiltered and it's going to be incredible. And I wish you could come back and tell me what he looks like because I'm just dying to know, but I guess I'll find out later. And he's just like, okay, yes. All right, whatever. And then we were tired of talking about heaven. We started talking about how heaven is going to be in this incredible place and that heaven has like like bad theology around heaven uncle bob i mean it's not like you're going to just be floating around on some cloud strumming a harp next to some fat chubby angel that is not what heaven is like that's more like uh, cartoons that we watched growing up but what heaven's going to be like is this beautiful place where meaningful work is being done and this is like a dairyman for 44 years like all this guy did was just work his whole life And he's just like lit up, like meaningful work in heaven. Yes, meaningful work in heaven. But the work in heaven is not, you don't pull muscles and you don't get frustrated. And actually picture a lot less cow crap there for some reason. And it's just like, it's going to be an amazing, amazing experience. 
And so we had this talk, right? And then at the end, I said goodbye. But just for now, as I held his face in my hands. And two days later, he passed away. The Spirit brought him into the kingdom. The Spirit moved in my uncle's life. I did not expect it. This is what Jesus is teaching here. He's like the wind. The Spirit is like the wind. Let's keep talking about the wind for a second. If you look up in John chapter 3 and elsewhere in the New Testament, every time it talks about the Holy Spirit, there's a Greek word behind that English word spirit. And this is what you'll see when you study the Greek. It's the word pneuma. The Greek word is pneuma. Does that sound familiar? Do you, do you know some other English words that have this? Maybe it's a prefix. You know what pneuma literally means? It just means this. It means moving air. It means breath. It means wind. In fact, the only way in the Bible you know that the scriptures are teaching us about the Holy Spirit versus the literal wind is you have to look at the context. Because, for example, in John 3, Jesus is saying the holy pneuma is like the pneuma. It's the same word. And because of this close tie-in with this idea of wind, it, it, it causes people to ask questions about the nature of who the Holy Spirit is. It's a natural question. And we're going to spend some time on this for just a minute or two. The question is, why would we say that the Holy Spirit is a person? The holy wind of God makes it seem like the Spirit is more of a something than a someone. So why would we ascribe personhood to the Spirit? Furthermore, when scripture talks about aspects of God, it will say things like the arm of the Lord or the eyes of the Lord are upon you. And we don't say in those cases that the arm of the Lord is a person of the Godhead. Also, when you and I are talking about maybe our spirit or your spirit, we don't distinguish that as being another person from ourselves. So for example, if we point to our friend and we say, oh, that person has such a gentle spirit, we don't mean that there's now a completely different person. Rather, it's, a, it's just an aspect of who that singular person is originally that we were talking about. Do you follow? And then we might as well just say one more. When I breathe out or when you breathe out, you wouldn't say, oh, look, there's another person and somehow try to ball up that air and take it home for dinner. So why then would it be any different for God's spirit why would we make the leap to ascribe personhood to the holy pneuma? The answer is quite simple. The answer is just the Bible speaks over and over again about the Holy Spirit in personal ways. And we have to be faithful to how the Bible presents the Spirit to us. Jesus, for example, regularly calls the Holy Spirit a hymn and not an it. I'll just throw one, one verse up. John 16, this is Jesus talking. He's teaching on the spirit here in these passages. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And on and on, Jesus describes the spirit as a he and it's all over in this passage and it's all over in the Bible. Time and time again, 
He talks about the spirit as a person, and these are personal pronouns that the Lord himself spoke. Additionally, the book of Hebrews talks about insulting the spirit. Here's the passage. Some have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. And so the author of Hebrews is saying that, man, you can disrespect the spirit. You can diss the spirit. You can do things to, to disrespect. You can't diss a thing, can you? You can only diss a person. Mm, yeah, anybody? Yeah, you see this? Uh, the, um, let me give you one more. Ta Paul talks about grieving the spirit. Uh, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed the day of redemption. Similar to insulting, you can't grieve a thing. You can't grieve an it, but you certainly can grieve a person. You also have what we call uh, the triune formulas in scripture. For example, the baptismal formula. When you're water baptized, what do we say? We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it would be weird to have a personal father and a personal son, but then all of a sudden switch categories to an impersonal force called the Spirit. And so when we collect all of, this big, all of this biblical data, then we come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit is granted the same status as the Father and the Son, the status of personhood. You see, he's his own person. He's not an impersonal force. We're not deriving our theology from George Lucas and Star Wars movies now, are we? Great entertainment, poor theology. So he becomes a person then, just like the Father and the Son in Scripture. And as a person, though, the Holy Spirit loves to represent Jesus to us. To be filled with the Spirit, Scripture says, is to always move the person who is filled in the direction of Jesus. In partnership with the breath of God, he's pointing us to Christ, always moving us towards the teachings of Jesus, towards the life of Christ, towards life with Christ. That's the Spirit's primary function in our lives. Now, the Spirit is obviously doing different things in different people's lives in nuanced ways. He's guiding and directing us and working in different ways in our lives, but what he's always doing all the time in all of our lives is he's leading us to Jesus. He's pointing us to Christ. He wants to rally us all together around Jesus. That's at his center. That's his heartbeat. And this is one of the primary roles of the Spirit. And in doing so, he brings this beautiful thing called unity to the body of Christ. The Spirit wants to tie Christians together. He wants to indwell us. Not just you and not just me, but we and the space between us. And so the Spirit unifies us. This is the teaching. The New Testament teaches us that we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. But more often than just individually we're little temples of the Spirit, it, the Scripture speaks of we together. You, we're united as the temple of the Holy Spirit in a singular sense, not just a bunch of little ones. I've often wondered how you get unity in a church, especially our size. We're spread all over the place. We've got five campuses, online people, people in prisons that read our sermons and call at Cornerstone home. You have a church where you have all these people who have different backgrounds and different you know, places they're coming from spiritually and even different voting patterns. And so we're all so different, differenced and those differences are real. 
And there's so much that could divide us, but how in the world are we a unified family? It's because of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us about this. He teaches us this in 1 Corinthians. Just as a body, though one, we all have many parts, the body is, but, but in all its parts, we form one body, and so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, people from different backgrounds and places in life, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. This is a beautiful passage about the unifying effects of the spirit. Culture tries to drive people apart. Spirit says, no, when you're in my kingdom, I unify you and we tie you together. I tie you together. Now, this passage is really, I just want, this is my final thought. This is my final thought. Just focus on this little part here. We are all given the one spirit to drink. We all drink from the same spirit, which means we all are getting the same nutrients. We're on the same spiritual diet. We're all refreshed from the same pool. And the things that would otherwise divide us, some, somehow they all become way less important because the power of the spirit is greater than anything that could divide. And Paul says that dynamic is unity and this is a beautiful thing. And I would say that we're coming up on a, maybe a divisive season in our country, aren't we? We're beginning the national election cycle. And like it was four years ago, it was pretty miserable to see people otherwise who were friends just divided all the time over political ideologies and so forth. The role of the government in the human person's life, and it somehow seems to be this irreconcilable difference, and yet the Holy Spirit will never be co-opted by one political party. He's too big, he's too grand, and so what he does is he stands above all that and he holds us all together by the power of his love and unity. Well, I think that's enough for today. <laughs> we have lots more to talk about in the weeks to come. And so I don't want you to miss one single weekend because at the end of the series, you know what's gonna happen is we're gonna sit and pray every day and say, ask the, the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh. We want more the, the spirit in our lives. And when we pray and when God fills us anew, you're gonna find that in some cases, he's gonna bring you fresh encouragement. Maybe you're really in need of encouragement and you're, you're feeling discouraged and the spirit will come in and refresh you. He's, he's gonna also do things like inspire you to do great things because why? He can work in and through your life at any moment. Or you may find that you're convicted of things you know you shouldn't be doing. But either way, what we're gonna have is a more healthier version of us as we all drink deeply from the spirit. Let's close our time in this message. Let me just pray. Would you please bow your heads with me and I'll just kind of seal this all and we'll see what the Lord does with us as we move from here. But Lord, we thank you so much for today and we need the Holy Spirit, Father God. So we pray that you would help us to understand the Holy Spirit better and that we would not be afraid. And for some of us, what this means, Spirit, is that we need to give you control. And we've been hanging on way too tight to our lives and to our plans and to our vision of the future. And we're asking you to help us have the faith to release the illusion of control that we think we have and put it right back smack dab in the 
in the hands of the sovereign, the sovereign Holy Spirit, and so we pray for that. Lord, we're sorry if we've been treating like the Holy Spirit like an it instead of a person. So help us have a healthy relationship with you, Spirit. And finally, we ask that, Spirit, you would unify us as a body of believers, even as our culture tries to divide us from each other. Your unifying power is much stronger than anything. And so we're asking you to tie us together, knit our hearts together by the power of the Holy Spirit and point us all in the direction of Jesus. And so wherever we are in our lives, we're all marching in the same direction, squarely and just right at the target of Christ. And may we all drink deeply in this series and beyond of you, Spirit. And we thank you so much. We pray all these things now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen.